1: The battles between Uber and Waymo have been ongoing for some time now, and recently a judge told Uber to return proprietary documents that a former Waymo engineer brought with him when he left to go start his own company, and then eventually that company was bought by Uber. The judge said that Uber should have known that this was the case. To discuss this, we are joined in studio by John Paul McDuffie, McDuffie, who is director of the Program on Vehicle and Mobility Innovation at the Wharton Schools Mac Institute. Also joining us in studio, Penn Law Professor Polk Wagner, and on the phone with us, Dorothy Glancy, who is a law professor at Santa Clara University. John Paul, Polk, great to see you both. Great to have you in studio. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. Dorothy, great to have you on the phone with us.
0: Great to be there. I'm in the middle of Silicon Valley, where we're uh, making these uh, autonomous cars.
1: Well, and I wanted to get into that first, because you've been doing research on trade secrets uh, currently. Uh, Let's start with your reaction to the most recent decision by the judge.
0: Well, I think the judge has been really very aggressive. I I don't know how the uh, press in the uh, Pennsylvania area has been covering this, but Uh, Not only did Judge Alsop grant a preliminary injunction with regard to uh, the trade secrets, and uh, I know that Polk has some things to say about trade secrets as well, um, but he also uh, continuously uh, reminds people uh, that there might be criminal trade secret theft charges uh, brought against uh, some of the participants in the case. Um, so uh, it seems to me that the trade secrets part of this case is extremely important, and the re- the reason why I study them uh, is that it appears, at least from the point of view of out here in California, uh, that a great deal of both the driverless car uh, developments uh, as well as many, many other sort of startups literally run on trade secrets and um, they're becoming an increasing part of the intellectual property side of uh, of business these days. Um, And uh, with the enactment of about a year ago of the Defend Trade Secrets Act, uh, we're now getting uh, the beginning of some really interesting federal trade secret uh, misappropriation cases.
2: Yeah, I would agree with all of that. It is it is definitely becoming clear that trade secrets are an increasing component of any uh, company's intellectual property strategy. Um, I think it's an interesting phenomenon because you know, certainly over the last few decades, trade secrets has have largely been thought of as not a particularly reliable or even useful way um, to protect. Technology, right. um, in part, because um, you know the definitions of trade secret require that that they remain secret, and it's often very, very difficult to keep um, technological advancements secret, especially when you are implementing, the, implementing them in products and then selling those products. Right? They yeah. sort of automatically become disclosed. So um, it's it is a uh, it's an area that's rapidly developing. Um, the new federal law is going to have a lot to do with that over the next several years. Um, And I think it's it's something worth keeping an eye on. I I would note here that there's a lot of debate uh, among um, academics and scholars about whether trade secrets is a particularly socially beneficial area of intellectual property law. We think of patents and to some extent copyrights as Um, as intellectual property regimes that generate lots of disclosure. It generates lots of new information that other companies and individuals can take and build upon. Trade trade secrets, in some sense, do exactly the opposite, which is the goal of trade secrets is to force companies to keep everything internal, to keep them closed, to keep employees locked away from each other so they don't know things, um, don't take things to new companies, those sorts of things, many of which are probably not – um, efficient from a long-run uh, technological advancement perspective. So um, I think that that thinking about sort of the broader policy of trade secrets um, is interesting, especially now that we are definitely—and I think that um, it's absolutely true that we're going to see more of these sorts of cases uh, going on. But just from that one example you gave, I mean, the, the expectation
1: of keeping people separate and you know not sharing information and, as things that you're working on, that that's a hard— that's a hard expectation to have, especially in this in this kind of economy that we're talking about right now.
2: Absolutely, and and you even look at this particular case where the the basic argument that Google is making um, and has frankly succeeded on so far is that this engineer um, downloaded uh, a lot of files uh, yep. onto his laptop, took him home, yep. um, and of course the the reason that he says apparently that he did that was. To work on them sure. at home, yeah, yeah. which is what normal people would do. Yeah, um, and so you know this this means then that your relationship with your employee um, and what they do, how they work, all of their um, uh, data flows, and all of that becomes extremely critical um, uh, because if you're going to use trade secrets at some point in the future. Um, uh, to try and protect your your IP, then that's you know that's going to be really important, and that might not be good in terms of of uh, the culture of the company or or even just basic innovation principles.
1: Well, and John Paul, obviously, with with this industry and the way that it is developing right now, and the rush to be the first to really master what driverless technology is, we're talking about. Hundreds of billions of dollars potentially in the offing for Waymo, Uber, you know, so many other companies that are out there trying to break through in this area right now.
3: Well, it does seem that the thinking is uh, getting there first is the most important thing. And uh, and we'll have to see. I mean, we may end up with competition among a few companies or coalitions of companies uh, that have different models of the way they put the hardware and software together for driverless cars. And uh, what makes them win may not be being first. It may be some other attribute of of performance,
0: but certainly- Mac, I have a a question about that. Uh, Do you think that's going to be the car companies, the traditional automobile manufacturers? Uh, doing the the sort of fusion of the different technologies that are used in driverless cars or something completely new like tes- like Tesla or a, a, an unheard of now car company
3: uh yeah i mean that's a great great question i think that the it's it's of course right now uh Perhaps the, the media coverage mostly seems to say the tech companies have all the advantage here and the car companies are the old conservatives. And just look at the stock valuations of Tesla now being greater than both GM and Ford as, as an example of that. Of course, Tesla is a car company. They're just a, a new car company. Right. Um, whether Google uh, or Uber will want to make their own cars, whether they would be good at that is one question. Whether in a driverless world, you know, one of the things that has uh, gotten Uber such high valuations and that people like is it's an asset light model. They don't own anything, they have a platform, and then the drivers come and they bring their cars. Well, the driverless car world probably will work differently. I don't know that we imagine individuals buying their own autonomous vehicle and then leasing it individually to Uber. You're going to have management of a fleet of these assets. Well, is Uber going to turn out to be the company that's good at managing a big fleet of hard assets like cars? Or is it going to be a company that already does that, which would be probably include auto companies which do leasing, but a bunch of other companies that, that also manage big big fleets. Like, um,
0: truck, like trucking companies. Like
3: trucking companies, right. Yeah. So, um, so I think there's a lot of possibilities of combinations of companies and skills that would be needed in the end. But the algorithms are going to have to be good, and they're going to have to work under regulation, under a system in which you have a mix of traditional cars and autonomous cars, and that's no. the that's the wild west of this.
1: But part of this is also the fact that, that and that's why we have seen the traditional automakers dipping their toe into this water and, and really starting to see if they can build some of these partnerships up. They may not necessarily be the ones that are doing the technology. They'll leave that to somebody else and bring all of that intellectual property into their operations at some point. Yeah. So you've got well, Google. And
0: and, and we yeah. have an example of that with uh Google now Waymo. Uh, uh, partnering with Fiat Chrysler to uh, use uh, Google technology or Waymo technology on the platform of an existing Chrysler Pacifica. Um, And so far, that looks like that may be working. They've got the first a group of those cars uh, available
1: now. Well, yeah. uh, Dorothy, for, with you being out there, uh, I mean, this is, for, for Uber themselves, this is, this is a little bit of another hit for them. I mean, they've been going through a little bit of cycle right now of, of instances where they're not exactly coming up, to you know, smelling all roses here. I mean, this is, uh, this is another hit to, to Uber's kind of growth strategy. Uh, you know, as huge as their valuation is, you know, they're, they're taking their lumps right now. Oh,
0: they are indeed, and if you look at the opinion from Judge Alsop, the federal district court out here in northern, the northern district of California, uh, he really slams them for what looks like really terrible business ethics. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the features of the driverless car market that I think is interesting uh, and that is very much related to the trade secret uh, basis of many of the assets in the startups in this um, autonomous vehicle uh, market uh, these uh, these companies are kind of sort of tooth and claw the uh, competition with each other, which of course is uh, is great. Uh, But because the major sort of intellectual assets are trade secrets, that uh, is very tempting to try to sort of go um, kind of around or just next to the line of what is acceptable conduct. What's alleged uh, with regard to Uber in the uh, uh, federal district court opinion uh, last Monday uh, is really, uh, really quite, uh, really quite remarkable, uh, and as I say, Judge Alsop keeps talking about the fact that there should be criminal prosecutions in this area. One of the things that uh, that I've been doing is downloading all the pleadings in this case, <clears throat> and what you find is major, major parts of both the opinions and orders in the case, uh, but even more so uh, the uh, motions and response to motions are all redacted uh, because of the trade secrets that are involved here. Uh, And so I don't see how it's very easy to make good public policy uh, about something like driverless cars when all of the the sort of particulars of what makes them work keep getting redacted from really the only public papers that we have about this, uh, which is the court pleadings.
2: Paul? So, uh, I, I agree with all of that. I think that, that on Uber, um, one thing we know about Uber is that their business model is uh, intertwined completely with being extraordinarily aggressive about regulation. Yep. Right. And yep. this is this is how they have uh, made uh, significant gains in the in the you know taxi business yep. uh, by circumventing and sometimes outright breaking. Um, existing laws um, and asking, you know, for forgiveness later, or sometimes not even asking for forgiveness. Um, And I think that this is not surprising that their approach to um, trade secrets and hiring new employees and buying new companies uh, would have that exact same feature, which is they apparently didn't uh, even ask very much about where all right. of this new right. <laughs> technology came from, um, which uh, most companies would you know, would think about doing, uh, especially if they had ta- even bothered to talk to a lawyer beforehand. I do think that one of the things to think about here is we are seeing a lot of this um, right now in the trade secrets world, but that's not going to last long, in my view, because um, the reason we're in trade secrets world right now is that nobody's selling these automatic driverless cars yet. These are not; right. these are all pre-production prototypes, still testing. ten years down the road. I whatever mean, they, it might be, they yeah. don't, you don't really yeah. know when they're actually on the road. They're often uh, kept away mm-hmm. from everybody on test tracks, things like that. Um, and so, because of that, trade secrets is a viable option. You just, you know, how do you keep things secret? You just don't let anybody see it. Right. You keep people away from it. You make sure that any suppliers or contractors who are dealing with it are are locked into some non disclosure agreements, things like that. That's impossible once you actually start producing these at some scale and yeah. selling them, and they're out in the world. Because one of the fundamental features of trade secret law is that if somebody can take it apart, figure out how it works. There goes your trade secret. You're yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, because of that, I think you know you're going to see, and I am absolutely 100% sure that all of these companies are filing as many patents as they think they can. Um, so you're going to see a wave of patent litigation um, uh, that's going to begin as soon as some of these patents start to actually issue, which is you know probably in in the near future, and some of them probably are already issued. Because to me, this looks like the cell phone industry at its early early stages, right? Which is these companies realize that there's significant uh, market uh, gains to sure. be made yeah. in driverless car technology for all of the reasons we've already discussed uh, on the show here. And it also seems clear that these are platform technologies, which yep. means um, that what's going to happen is somebody's going to come up with a dominant way of dealing with all of the various problems surrounding driverless cars. It's going to interface well with the regulatory environment that's going to ultimately develop. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sort of you know the windows or whatever of, of the driverless car world, and then people are going to build products on top of that. Sure. Right? Being at the bottom of that stack, being the provider of the windows of the driverless car world, um, is enormously valuable, sure. right? Yep. Um, and and this is when that that those positions are being decided. Yeah. Those positions can get decided very early on um, in an industry with significant network effects, uh, which this certainly appears to be. They can get locked in for for potentially decades uh, of an area which seems pretty clear is going to have a lot of impact on our on our society.
0: One one of the aspects of this Waymo Uber. Uh, litigation was that Waymo uh, also sued for a patent infringement yep. Yep. and in the most recent uh, steps in this case uh, they withdrew their patent infringement claims uh, and uh, are uh, talking about perhaps pursuing them later uh, but in the course of this Judge Alsop said uh, that he didn't think that the patent claims were going to be worth anything um so that's one of the the kind of odd pieces of this um of, of this sort of uh, development or of this uh, startup um and that is it's not clear that at least some of the technologies the one in the Waymo Uber uh dispute is with regard to lidar that's yeah. a highly uh um, defined uh mapping technology uh that's uh, was developed originally in part at at Google. Uh, It's not clear that the patents are going to be sufficient uh, protection for that. That's just a piece. That's not the fusion of all the technologies. it's not clear that the patents are going to protect the lidar technologies, and they are the most costly component right now uh, of these driverless cars. They're you know eight ten thousand dollars per unit, and if you put uh, four of them, which is the usual process, uh, on a car, that that would, from a consumer standpoint. Add an enormous amount to the cost of an autonomous car. And in the meantime, we're getting all kinds of um, indications, especially out of Israel, uh, with regard to development of better, cheaper, like a couple hundred dollars per unit, uh, LiDAR, uh, Lidar uh, units. Uh, so uh, there's international competition here uh, as well. And then this uh, kind of nagging doubt uh, about whether the patents will cover at least this piece of the uh, driverless vehicle technology.
3: John Paul? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the fact that the lawsuits <laughs> about LIDAR is important because uh, it's not uh, on the software platform yet. LIDAR is a, is a hardware software combination. It's this laser based radar. Most people would say that a combination of regular radar cameras and LIDAR are needed to make this autonomous vehicle technology effective and safe. Tesla, interestingly enough, says uh, Tesla broke with Mobileye, the Israeli firm that provides cameras and sensors and LiDAR. And in their new position, they say, well, we don't really need LiDAR. We can do this all with radar and cameras Mm -hmm. and software. So that's an interesting um, wrinkle. But yes, tremendously expensive. Uh, I think the amount of total technology Google was putting on the Lexus vehicles that started testing was about 300,000. LIDAR units, as Dorothy said, eight to uh, 10,000 per. per. And I think a lot of the Google advances were on the cost side of LIDAR, not so much on the functionality of it. And so Google was moving faster to get to the low cost LIDAR. And that's what, they're saying Uber was stealing. Uber, Uber's bunch of you know uh, poached Carnegie Mellon engineers out in Pittsburgh were working on this too, and apparently, uh, you know, Uber and 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 its CEO felt that the Pittsburgh team wasn't moving fast enough, so they wanted a crack at this this technology, and they got it by hiring uh, by acquiring Auto. So, you know, lots of people are working on reducing the cost of LiDAR. Ford bought half, I think, of Velodyne, which is another yeah. LiDAR maker. Right. And they're hoping with scale and big investment to, again, bring the cost down to four or 500 bucks. So, a lot of people in this more interesting, sort of still partly hardware space, competing on the cost side for a critical component of the overall system.
1: We're joined uh, on the phone with uh, Dorothy Glancy of uh, Santa Clara University, in studio with John Paul McDuffie, who is the director on the program of on vehicle and mobility innovation here at the Wharton School and also Penn Law Professor Polk Wagner. We're talking about the Uber Waymo battles going back and forth. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Polk, if you're going back to the, the original case here, I mean, we were talking about it before we went on the air, when you have a situation that develops like this where gentleman leaves a company, starts his own company, and then said company is acquired by a rival of this, the rival, I mean, they are, to a degree, I feel like they're twisting in the wind here in that they should have, they should have done more to kind of protect themselves. But as you kind of alluded to, they do at times kind of play their business like the Wild West to a degree.
3: Sure
0: well, the, uh, the the allegations in the uh, waymo Uber case uh, the judge believes, I think uh, that waymo uh, that Uber engineered this uh, with the Google engineer uh, in uh, uh, two thousand and fifteen just before he left, and that they deliberately set up the uh, auto uh, startup as a kind of a ruse to cover the fact. Uh, that they were, in fact, buying the trade secrets and the technology know-how uh, of, uh, of Google uh, indirectly. Right. And that's part of why he granted the preliminary injunction. I'm interested in what Polk thinks about the fact that the judge has said, give back all of those trade secrets. And uh, and insulate all the employees sort of against each other. How in the world, once a trade secret has been disclosed to a competitor, do you put the genie back in the bottle?
2: Yeah, well, I think you don't. Um, but I think that you know what the judge is trying to do is craft um, a remedy that's that's relatively equitable in the situation. I mean, what typically happens, and frankly, should happen when. Um, When you're buying a company where a significant portion of its assets are um, intellectual property related is you sit down – uh, both uh, as part of the due diligence of purchasing the company and also when you're starting to onboard some of these new employees and you ask some very specific questions yep. about um, the technology, what agreements they signed with the prior company they were with, where did all of the – you know, do you have any information with you? Did you take any information from your prior employer? All of right. these are very standard questions that any intellectual property counsel uh, would know to ask uh, well prior. Um, to um, to any any hiring or purchasing of a company, and I do think you can see that the judge uh, feels like if this wasn't done, it almost <laughs> looks like willful blindness because yeah. it would be so standard to just do this as part of the uh, normal operations of a of a business. Um, and again, we don't we don't know yet. Part of this is the posture of the case so far. We haven't really seen a formal um, uh, defense yet. From you know what what is Uber's position, right? I mean, Uber's position they may hang the engineer out to dry and sure. say, "Look, you know we screwed up. We should have asked these questions. We didn't. He brought this in. He infected the company with yeah. all this stuff, and now <laughs> we're going to try and unwind it." That's possible. That's a, that's a way to for them to keep going forward. The other hand, they could say, "Look, this was." Not trade secrets, right? It could be that the information that he actually took um, was not, in fact, kept as a trade secret as uh, as alleged by Google. Could right. be that it had already become um, disclosed by virtue of something else, either Google sure. or even this employee at his uh, auto company had done, had already disclosed. It, in which case, there's no more trade secret. Um, so there's a variety of possible defenses uh, that. Uh, that, that uber could could do and I think that that a lot of us who are watching this case are curious to see especially given how um, uh, aggressive the judge has been about his views that that something seems quite wrong here you know what is uber going to do to to defend
1: well again polk i mean this is really I mean it, we've talked about the fact that, that you know this is an area that will probably draw the public eye at, or at least the corporate world eye more and more as we move ahead here in the next few years so in in certain circumstances, this feels like it's a little bit of a test case of what we're going to see happen play out not only in autonomous driving, but with a variety of other intellectual property that, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I think there could be versions of AI that, you know, we may see down the road that may end up falling into the trade secrets category. Sure.
2: And I think if you see... Um, Google being ultimately successful or not successful in this case, that will have a lot to do with how companies that are developing uh, a lot of these new technologies think about the way that they need to protect their intellectual property rights. Um, as I noted sort of at the beginning of the, um, of the half hour, we traditionally teach um, and, and talk about Uh, trade secrets as being sort of a a last option, right? Right. And and, uh, something you do early stage when you can't really get a patent yet or maybe what you're working on isn't patentable, but you're not really selling a product so it's possible to keep it secret. Um, It's not a great... Protection. It can. I mean, if, if a laptop gets lost and inadvertently disclosed, in a lot of cases, that can destroy the trade secret. So yeah. uh, it <laughs> is. It's it's a uh, area of protection that that is not generally has not generally been thought to be particularly a, a solid foundation. Now, if Google is successful at really putting a, a, a dent in in Uber's ability to compete in this field um, as a result of this case then I think people will take notice of that, and you probably will see more people using trade circuits. On the other hand, if, if ultimately mm-hmm. Google is not successful, or even if they win this case but don't really slow Uber down very much, then I think people are going to go back to what we traditionally yeah. think of in, um, in IP, which is unless you have a patent covering the technology that you're really interested in, uh, you don't have a lot.
1: Well, to, b- to both you and to John Paul here for a second, I, I mean, when you think about the auto industry as a whole – there doesn't seem to be a whole lot there if we go by the traditional auto industry uh, of anything that would truly be a trade secret, correct? I mean, this is, you know, this has been an industry that's been out there. I mean, we've obviously seen developments in types of cars. But realistically, we're starting to enter a whole new world for the auto industry, not necessarily the technology industry, but the auto industry itself into what cars are going to be over the next 50 to 100 years.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly from a consumer of cars, I mean, they're just rolling computers with software on them now, right? Yeah. And so that's changing, I think dramatically the way that car companies are thinking about themselves, as I'm sure that that
3: Yeah, Paul I mean, knows. you know, one of the characteristics of the big automakers is that they do a massive amount of R&D. And even as they make less themselves and they outsource a lot of stuff, their principle seems to be we need to understand every technology in the car well enough so that we can purchase it wisely, we can negotiate good contracts, and that kind of thing. So you typically see the majority of patents in any of the automotive technologies are held by the car companies and then secondarily by some of their suppliers. Mm -hmm. And they may patent way ahead of ever using it. And um, I'm also told – people have told me at times that, yeah, we have trade secrets too, things that we don't want to take the trouble to patent. We're not sure exactly how we're going to use it in the future. So Mm -hmm. part of the difference is these are trade secrets that are incredibly hot and at the the heart of a – uh, fierce and fast-paced uh, competition around an exciting new technology. I think there have been trade secrets, but they probably are off the radar screen, both because they're secret, but because they don't have those attributes. Right. Um, they're more incremental technological advances, but they still are part of this massive R&D investment by the automakers.
1: And, and it's go
3: ahead. I mean, a you know a general rule of thumb with with trade secret litigation is if there's trade secret litigation,
2: something has gone horribly wrong. Right. So <laughs> something something has failed um, yeah. in your process that then has resulted in the need to take um, uh, aggressive litigation action because you're almost certainly not going to survive the litigation with your trade secret intact. The remedies you're going to get are going to be – I mean, you know, we just talked about this, the the technology is already out of the box. You, yeah. you can't you can't undo that now, no matter what. And sure, some money might change hands and some people might get fired. But that's not going to change the basic fact that this technology is off to the races and a bunch of people have it. So um, so if you're seeing, you know, if you're not seeing trade secret litigation, it means that they probably have them and they're they're probably doing a decent job at, at, at keeping them under wraps. Um, the more trade secret litigation, I think you have, then then I think that you know it's being it's harder and harder to see how this is a good thing. Doris, one of the
0: the um, sort of uh, issues in the Waymo Uber case that's interesting is that it's b- brought in part under the federal Defend Trade Secrets Act, and that statute provides for not only return of the trade secrets and injunction against using them and all of those kinds of sort of structural uh, changes in the defendant's business, um, but also provides for not just triple damages, but five times damages of the value of the technology to the defendant if they are found liable for trade secret theft under the federal statute. Statute that could be really crippling to uh, to Uber uh, if the uh, the damages phase of this uh, turns out to be successful and you know there's some of the best lawyers around working on this. Sure.
2: Yeah, sure. But you know, again, this technology is at a very early stage. I mean, yeah. what is the commercial value of the <laughs> autonomous cars that have been sold this year? Yeah. Pretty much zero, right? Yeah. So um, so sure, we can all sort of sit around, and I'm sure that they can hire a number of financial analysts and, and economists to come up with you know, enormous numbers of what the projected market could be and try and base damages on that. But at the end of the day, they have to be able to prove that that's what's actually going to happen, and I yeah. think that's hard to do. And so, yes, the federal trade secret law does include some what appear to be very high multipliers. But the reason for that is, in a lot of cases, trade secrets um, are secrets because they yeah. don't otherwise have uh, substantial value except to the internal operations of the of the company.
1: Great to have you all with us. Thank you, Dorothy, for joining us on the phone today. Appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thank you. John Paul, great to see you as always. Yep. Paul, great to have you here Thank in studio. You. Thank you both.
3: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton,
0: please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.